As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So this week, I wanted to tell the story of an unlikely venture capitalist, someone who went from sleeping on French couches and running an LGBTQ blog to deploying millions of dollars to underrepresented founders. I think I know exactly where this is going. That's right. The one and only. But hopefully not for too long. Right. We're talking about Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital. Today, we're going to take you through her journey to become one of the most celebrated VCs in the game today. Well, let's roll the intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Backstage Capital has a simple ethos. Less than 10% of all venture capital deals go to women, people of color, and LGBTQ founders. Other VCs see this as a pipeline problem. 
she sees it as the biggest opportunity and investment today. As much as Silicon Valley hates to admit it, most VCs are pedigreed, a prestigious degree, a proven track record, and personal connections to power brokers are at least as important as a great idea. Scrappy unknowns are definitely the exception, not the rule. A writer's analysis of 88 Silicon Valley companies that received Series A funding from one of the top five Valley venture firms in 2011, 2012, or the first half of 2013 shows that 70 were founded by people who hailed from what could be described as the traditional Silicon Valley cohort. This means the founders had held a senior position at a big technology firm, worked at a well-connected smaller one, started a successful company already, or attended one of three universities, Stanford, Harvard, or MIT. Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz, arguably the most well-known VC firm in Silicon Valley, once said, I don't really think that a kid coming out of Harvard or MIT is actually well-connected. He said that by email, citing examples such as Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. Although he attended Harvard, Zuckerberg was unconnected until entrepreneur Sean Parker sought him out and made Silicon Valley introductions for him. But we know that this myth is largely bullshit. <laughs> it's the same tired trope of we just hire the best person for the job and we magically end up with executive teams and boardrooms that are, well, less than diverse. Yeah, you might say they're monochromatic, but Arlen, she wants to change this. And I bet she has the pedigree to walk into any boardroom to back it up. Not... Exactly. My past work has included uh, publishing a print magazine, um, working on tour with everyone from, you know, garage bands from Norway to, uh, you know, Tony Braxton, Jason Derulo um, and stadiums. So that's um, kind of, you know, a, a tiny part of my background. I also, for a long time, a few years, ran a, a website called Your Daily Lesbian Moment, which was uh, 50,000 uh, women and uh, I say gay women and gay adjacent women um, would, uh, would read it every month. And it was just, um, it was kind of uh, my main gig for a few years. Then in 2012, she started getting interested in the startup ecosystem. And she also noticed that there weren't a lot of founders that weren't white men. So she set out to change that. I didn't know what venture capital was in 2012. I didn't know what the term meant. Um, but I had always had an entrepreneurial, like, uh, mind, I guess, and I've always felt like a real connection to people who who take their destiny into their own hands and who um, build something that where where no one else sees it. They they see it, you know. It's it's a it's a vision for them, and they they walk towards that, and that's that's exactly what we, we what we did. And so I, you know, if you think about it, our our we're just we're a startup. Our our product is capital. Our customers are our founders. Now, this was a tough time for Arlen. Raising this money wasn't easy. She didn't have a good relationship with money. In an interview with Money.com, she said, it made my mom cry all the time. It kept me from eating sometimes. Money's unreliable. It can be devastating. She goes on to say, I hate it. So I need to tame it. I need to have power over it. During this time, Hamilton taught herself about investing, practicing concepts on a whiteboard in her bedroom. She voraciously read through every single blog or book she could find. She watched hundreds of hours of video on YouTube. Books like Venture Deals by Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson were incredibly impactful on her. She said that they became sort of 
her professors at this four-year college that she created for herself. When Hamilton felt she had learned everything that she could on her own, she set her sights on attending a two-week pilot course at Stanford University organized by early-stage venture fund and seed accelerator 500 Startups. Still, she had no way to afford the tuition, fees, or travel associated with taking the course. She was living with her mom, and at one point in time, she remembers looking in her bank account and seeing just $12. That, she said, was even a good day. A positive bank account was rare. To cover the cost of taking the course at Stanford, Hamilton spoke out on social media and was nominated for a scholarship. Her vocal presence on Twitter caught the attention of people like Twitter, Uber, and Instagram investor Chris Saka, who helped her raise the rest of the funds she needed to get to California. At Stanford, she'd met classmates and mentors who were millionaires and returned each night to an Airbnb, unable to afford dinner. For months following that Stanford course, Hamilton stayed in San Francisco. Her savings dried up pretty quickly, and when it did... She slept at the airport. Her mom would send her $10 at a time when she could afford it. This was both an exciting time for her, but an incredibly dark time. When I talked to her a couple of years ago, she didn't really want to share much about it. Like, I don't want it to seem like every black person who's trying to do something in tech had to is like down and out. <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? But more recently, she shared more about her determination during this time. And here's a clip from CNBC where she does go into this. I just didn't have anywhere to go. But I was on a mission. I knew that I needed to start this fund. I didn't want to sleep on the ground outside, so I thought about it and I said, well, the airport is indoors. There are a lot of people there, so it's safer. And there's food around, so I can figure that out. It was um, not easy. It was pretty traumatic, actually, if we're being honest. And I'd wake up every day and take a train either to Silicon Valley for meetings or up to San Francisco for meetings, and people were none the wiser. During this time, she had over 100 meetings with LPs, and well, guess how many invested in her? But imagine there had to be at least one. The answer after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So before the break, we were discussing how many LPs she was able to land from over 100 meetings. And you were close because the answer is zero. Until finally one day, an angel investor named Susan Kimberlin decided to take a chance on Arlen and wrote the first check to invest in Backstage Capital. Now, Susan Kimberlin was the director of product management for search technology and features at Salesforce and previously a search analyst at PayPal. She wrote a check for $25,000. The biggest break was Susan Kimberlin coming along and, and, and giving me $25,000 to invest in me. And said, she said, I believe in you. I don't know what this is. I don't know what this will become. But I do believe in uh, that you will make something of it. So let's see what you can do. So after Susan Kimberlin wrote a check for $25,000, other investors came to the table as well. I think that they were already paying attention and that's why they were the ones to say yes. So like Andreessen 
just as a fund, they're, they're definitely more diverse. Their founders are more diverse than, than the average. Um, I would say that, you know, Swati at, at Kleiner Perkins, she was already, um, she's a woman of color herself. So she was already looking and she also knows that, um, I think she was already looking for something like this. So a lot of times the found the um, investors in our fund, if you look at the list, it's not so much me convincing them of something. It's that they already had figured this, this out and, and said that perhaps they weren't the best person to go out and try to do this brick, brick by brick. But if they could back someone else who was already doing it, then that could be their their resistance and their, you know, um, peek into things and, and help with things. And then also I think, you know, people like Mark Andreessen and Chris Saka, um, who are billionaires who, um, you know, take it or leave like they're, um, they're going to be okay. Right. I think that they're, I think they're just really smart when they look at it, like, okay, I'm not necessarily going to be in the same room as backstage capital will be in. And I want to, I don't, I know that taking risks is where they, you know, I've made my wealth. So this is just one more of those diversifying, truly diversifying. Um, And so then we have, uh, you know, people like Susan Kimberlin and uh, Jocelyn Goldfine from Zeta Ventures and Lars Rasmussen and um, Heather Hiles and, there's a, there's a lot of women that are invested in us and uh, people of color that are invested. And I think that it's just our LP base is, is as diverse as the world, (laughs) as the country is. And um, that's actually getting better and better to those numbers. And that's an impressive list. I found it interesting that the concept of being in the room, that was her pitch to them. You know, she could get them in rooms that they couldn't be in otherwise, but they should be in. That's exactly right. And they saw the opportunity here. If you think about it, if a, fu- if a founder of any background, race, creed, color, uh, wants Andreessen to be an investor in their company, the, fa- the Andreessen could probably get a deal with them, right? But the, the difference is, like, would Andreessen have the infrastructure in place to see that founder if they were not right in front of them? Like, if they were not part of the, the current pipeline and they have really great deal flow like they have incredible deal flow but they still maybe they don't the tentacles don't reach the uh you know the co-working spot in detroit where people know exactly this is where i'm going to fit fit in and this is where i'm going to be included and maybe i know that a little bit better because i've been there and because i i i, I consistently um have a relationship there and then again it, like it's if you look at it like women and men um, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. It's like, look, we talk, right? Women talk. We, we, we have our own kind of. I think they call, call it the whisper network. So we, we, if you are, um, like, if if an investor treats a woman founder poorly, like a lot of women founders know about it within hours, and so that was happening consistently, like. I you wouldn't believe some of the stuff I've heard. Oh my God. Like really ridiculous stuff that I've heard has, has been said to women, not just this latest thing about like how they describe women, but like really hurtful, misogynistic, ridiculous, ignorant things have been said. And so, um, I can, I can go in and say, you know, I, I understand you and I believe you, you know, and, 
let's talk about your company and we don't have, you can like separate the t- those two things. You don't have to worry about what you're wearing when you come have a conversation with me. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, a lot of the things that the extra baggage that women have to think about when they walk into a room full of investors or, you know, they're, they're so proud and happy to have made it into the room. Again, I don't want to make sweeping comments. Like not every, you know, woman has had this experience, but in some cases, you know, if you can take that part away and just have, just like hang out and like have a conversation and I'm going to be as, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm a a harsh critic. Um, I am very, my standards are super high because I'm investing other people's money. This isn't a charity. This isn't my angel money. So I have to say, are you the three are part of the 3% that gets invested in? And the argument against these founders, the ones that don't have the right pedigree is that they're always a risk to invest in. Yeah, that's right. They don't fit the pattern of a successful founder. But slowly, very slowly, it appears that the VC community is starting to look outside of their pattern matching, and they're looking to get into these rooms that they're not in today, mainly because of their own bias. But Arlen doesn't see these people as a risk, right? She actually sees herself in them. She sees the grit, the determination. I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean, I'm I'm certainly not going to say that some person's uh, life is is better or worse than mine. I'm not gonna say, like try to live in their shoes. I'm just saying that like when I when I look at it overall, if drive, determination, resilience, um, unwavering dedication to what what it is you're working on is what it takes to win in Silicon Valley and and the the location and the state of mind, um, then I think that there are a lot of people who are who have an edge there. Because they have had to, that is not something new to them. That is not something they were taught in school and learned about in books. It is something that was baked into their lives from a very early point. Like if you if you think about just women in general, um, I had someone recently tell me that he didn't feel that he felt that women were treated equally in America, and I I just wondered what what country he he was in. Um, if you think about that, like when, so my answer to him, we were having coffee and he said that, and he was being very sincere and he wondered why I was focused on investing in women. Why did they need a leg up or whatever? And I said, you know, on my lift ride from where I'm staying in Brooklyn to where I am in New York, I was reminded that I was a woman like three times in a negative way, you know, like we have to, you know, underrepresented people, uh, women, people of color, LGBT, so on and so forth. Just getting out the house, <laughs> like getting walking down the street, we are, we are, we are, we are strong. We have to be stronger. You know, we have to be more resilient in that way. So we're just being kind of groomed to be these superhuman founders, and yeah, just to exist. I mean, it's not like we're. I mean, a lot of a lot, no one's. I don't want to lump every single woman together and every single person of color. We all have our separate, individual, unique situations, lives, backgrounds, skills. Um, but I think, you know, when I talk to people in groups and we we discuss our lives, there's a lot, there's a thread. There's a thread that goes through them and it goes through the founders that Backstage invests in. And it's this um, always having to be a little bit uh, quote unquote, better in the room to just be seen as almost equal. 
There was an interesting exchange from a Bloomberg interview Arlen did in July of last year, 2019, about whether she worries that she's just checking a box. A diversity box, I'd assume? Yeah, exactly. Here's the clip. Do you ever worry that you're just checking a box for some of these people? Oh, I, so I don't worry that I am. I know that I am in mm. some cases. It doesn't bother me, though. Why not? Because um, there's so many that I don't take and I have turned down and I, and I won't take. And I have, you know, conviction around that. Whose money have you turned down? I've turned down money uh, that was associated with Peter Thiel very, like in the same month that he doubled down on his uh, investment and donation to Trump. And um, it, was, it wasn't an easy decision because- Right, the, wasn't it like $250,000? Yeah, it was that. But that was, um, uh, it was a complex decision, but an easy one is how I say it. Because of her mission and because she's black, a woman, and LGBTQ, these decisions are amplified publicly. She doesn't have the luxury of taking money from people like Peter Thiel, who are known to both back Trump and now mass surveillance and policing technology Clearview, which is founded by known white nationalists. I mean, when you have to release a statement about no longer being a white nationalist, I mean... Seriously. And sorry, I, I got us off track here. <laughs> That's okay. The point was, the standards are different. So just where is Backstage Capital today? That story after a quick word from our sponsors. Before the break, we were discussing Arlen's success against all odds as the founder of a venture firm focused on investing in underrepresented founders. So what is she and Backstage Capital up to today? Well, Backstage Capital recently launched a three-month accelerator designed to give underrepresented founders the support that they need to reach their next critical milestone. But here's Arlen from that same Bloomberg interview in 2019. We have an accelerator, and we're excited about that. It's been a year in the making. 24 companies in four cities across the country and in London. So Los Angeles, Detroit, Philadelphia, and London. And we got 1,850 applications in five weeks from underrepresented, underestimated founders, when five years ago, people were asking me if they exist. So we are, um, I think it's a triumph already. We're focusing on- They also had a $36 million fund that they were raising specifically for black women founders, but they had to put it on hold while priority shifted internally. Yeah, because they also have this backstage studio, which is a incubator model. Uh, and it appears to be sort of similar to Peter Pham's Science Inc. So what about the company she invested in? Are they proving her hypothesis? A good example of a company that may have, may not have been seen if, if it weren't for backstage is Curl Mix. Mm. They do hair products for uh, women who have, uh, women and men who have curly hair. That's amazing. Well, we're definitely going to be keeping tabs on Arlen and Backstage Capital's development for sure. So next week, we're going to tell the story of Walker and Company. Yes, the company behind brands like Bevel and Form. And we'll hear about it next week here at Rocketship.fm. Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Yeah, and Rocket Ship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on rocketship.fm.